Well, I'd like you to imagine that mixture of feelings, some of those, those feelings, uh, confidence and joy, as well as an awareness of a great deal of work to do as we look at this passage uh, in uh, Philippians chapter 3. Again, it's on the salmon sheet. You'll notice this short outline. And I, I want to draw your attention, first of all, to the context. If you look in the Blue Pew Bible or in your own Bible somewhere, uh, to Philippians chapter 3, if you uh, look back to the beginning of chapter 3, you'll, you'll notice the ESV editors have done us a favor and labeled the first part of the chapter, Righteousness Through Faith in Christ. And uh, the, this section, verses 1 to 11, uh, and particularly uh, verses 8 and 9, describe our awareness that our righteousness does not come from our works. It does not come from our uh, theological pedigree. You know, we, we talked about a wonderful family with a great strong tradition of gospel ministry. That's a great blessing. But let me tell you, that is not the basis for our hope in Christ, is it? Uh, we're not saved because of our pedigree. We're not saved uh, because of the rituals that we were performing. Uh, the the ritual of baptism, as beautiful and significant as it is. Baptism does not save us, nor does circumcision uh, save the Old Testament believer. There were sadly some who thought that the ritual itself carried with it saving power. And so there were actually teachers there in Philippi who, as they often did, came following Paul in his church planting work, as often happens with church planting. Some false teachers got mixed into the group and they were teaching that, yes, the gospel that Paul preached was wonderful, but now you just need to become a Jew. You need to circumcise your male children. You need to do the Jewish calendar. You need to do all of these Jewish things in order to be truly saved. So it's like what Jesus did plus being Jew, being Jewish, having the the Jewish ceremonial, the Jewish law. Paul goes to great pains to go down the list. He just literally goes down the list of all the gene genealogical claims and all the genetic claims and all the cultural claims and all the spiritual claims, including the fact that he himself, like all good Jews, including Christ, had been baptized on the eighth day. He, he mentions that. He said, that was true for me. I was a, a Jew of Jews. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, culturally, religiously. Um, I, was, I was deep in my Jewish heritage. And like uh, every good Jew, I was baptized on the eighth day. And he says at the end, all of these things I count as rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus. He says in verses 8 and 9, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
Paul understood it. The righteousness that was important to him, the righteousness that saved him, was not based on anything he did or anything that was done to him. It wasn't based on a ritual or a ceremony. It was based on faith in Christ, and that was from God. It was actually God at work who uh, gives this righteousness that comes uh, through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God. It's God who saved St. Paul, and it is God that saves everyone who walks with Jesus Christ. It's, it's God's work through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit that you and I can gather here today and worship the Lord. We can pray to Him. We can confess our sins to Him. We can call out to Him. We can worship Him because of Jesus and what God has done for us through Him. And so uh, the first half of Philippians chapter 3 is Paul sort of rehearsing this. It's actually spelling out something he's already said over in chapter 1. He's hinted at it in chapter 2. And here in chapter 3, he sort of spells it out. This faith, this saving faith, which is a gift from God, and that is the basis for Paul's hope. Embracing God's grace is where Paul begins this discussion about living out the gospel. Embracing what God has done through Christ. Now in the section before us today, in verses 12 to 16, Paul says that he's not saying by all those gospel promises that he has everything worked out. He's not saying, as he says here, that he is already perfect. You know, there's some Christians who think they're perfect. There's, there are streams of Christianity that teach us we can become perfect. Well, not according to Paul, at least in his own life. He says, I'm, I'm not saying that. Not that I've already obtained all these things or that I'm already perfect. But he says, I press on to make it my own. And then notice what he says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Really a lot of, of interesting verb choices. Um, I think, are those called gerunds? I think those are gerunds. Um, he, he's striving. He's pressing. He is straining. That's my second point. Paul talks very powerfully about straining forward towards the goal. Very strong, very powerful words, very evocative words to describe the enormous effort that Paul the Apostle is exerting, seeking to follow Christ. Um, we had a work party yesterday, the Abuds, in all their spare time. I don't know how the Abuds do half of what they do. But uh, EJ and Teresa had organized a work party over at uh, the church where uh, the um, Someone Cares Advocacy and Pregnancy Center is based. And they had organized a bunch of you and several people from Christ Church uh, to get together to build one of these sheds. Uh, when John... Uh, Brown was not building beautiful church furniture for Metrocrest. He helped build sheds all over 
Texas and the Southwest and really all over the country. He built these beautiful sheds. And part of John's continuing legacy is the Sheds of Hope ministry. Well, Sheds of Hope donated two sheds to Someone Cares Ministry in behalf of Metrocrest. And we had a little party that started, I think, uh, yesterday morning at, what was it, uh, 10. Yeah, I got there about 10, 15. But uh, anyway, I did, I did show up, and I came in my pressed white shirt. Uh, there is a reason for that. Uh, it wasn't me necessarily being lazy. I had to go to a wedding uh, rehearsal. So I just came through to snap a bunch of pictures and thank everybody and say some silent prayers uh, and to meet everybody, say hello to Rick Lenz and, and to be there. But there were about, uh, I, think, I think, 10, 12 people sh- showed up over the course of the morning. And let me tell you, they weren't there in pressed white shirts. They were there, their sleeves rolled up. They were there ready to work. Rohan's laughing because he was one of the ones. Uh, they were there straining, lifting these big uh, things of wood, these platforms, and putting them in the right place. And in the course of a few hours on a Saturday morning, uh, working very, very hard, straining and struggling, they put together this, uh, these two sheds, which will be used for years to come to house supplies and diapers and children's toys and whatever else you put out there so that young mothers who are struggling with one of the toughest decisions that they can face, the possibility of what to do with a pregnancy they weren't expecting, these sheds will hold the things that will help them make the right God-honoring, life-affirming decision. And that's what Someone Cares tries to do. It comes aside. It doesn't yell at them. It doesn't condemn them or judge them. It comes alongside them in love. And they say, we want to help you. We'll help you with this. And so those two sheds that were built will will help us do that. It will help us love people. Anyway, it it was a Saturday morning of enormous effort, a lot of work, And I thank you for doing it. And it provides a little sermon illustration for what Paul is talking about. Doing the work of the Lord is not a ride in the park. Uh, It's not effortless, is it? I mean, uh, it requires enormous effort. There is struggling. There is straining and pressing on to do sometimes extremely difficult things to honor the Lord. Uh, I was very touched by Susan uh, Smith, who agreed to come up here and talk about our Lenten Forum. I think it's our first annual, I hope it'll be annual, Lenten Forum, where we're going to actually think about how hard life can be and how there are lots of challenges that we don't seek out that come our way. And Pierce Taylor Hibbs is going to help us with the Bible to think through, how do we do that? How do we make sense of things that defy logic, that make no sense to us? How do we do that? He's going to walk through some things we can do to do that. But, you know, the the main point of what he's going to teach us, and Susan's already hinted at this, is he's going to help us to understand that God uses our suffering and our hardship, and our struggling, and our straining, and our pressing on to make us more like Jesus. 
Now, that's a sentence. We're going to unpack it for hours. But that's what Pierce is going to be talking about, that uh, Lenten forum in March. He's going to think through what that means and how we do that. Straining forward is very much a part of the Christian life. If you don't understand that, you, you might be surprised at the Christian life. There are Christians all around the world who are being taught that Christianity somehow gets rid of all the suffering and all the challenges. Well, that's not true. The Bible tells us that's not true. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 21 tell us that is not true. The Christian life does involve straining forward, working hard, rolling up our sleeves and doing things we would just as soon not do. It'd be a lot easier on Saturday morning to stay in bed. But we're called to strain and to press on and to work together all to the glory of the Lord Jesus. And Paul actually says, And verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. In other words, get this straight, or pray that God helps you to get this straight. This isn't negotiable. It's not subject to a church vote. This is the way it is. Straining forward. Embracing God's grace. Straining forward. But notice how Paul ends this chapter about straining. He says in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul is talking about our imitating him and imitating others who imitate him and imitating others who are seeking to walk according to the example that Paul gave us. And the example Paul had was the apostles who came before him and the Lord Jesus, who is the incarnation of what Paul is describing, this struggling and straining and pressing on. What does it look like? Paul says, follow my example. Remember in Philippians, Paul has already talked very candidly about his suffering. He's talked in great detail about some of the things he endured. There were those who were using those experiences to say that because Paul had had those painful experiences, he must not be an authentic apostle. See, they'd convince themselves that if you're an apostle, if you're a Christian, you don't have any problems. You don't have any struggles. Life's just a ride in the park. But no, Paul makes it very plain that the Christian life is not a life of effortlessness. It's actually a life full of our seeking to do something, to follow an example, to look to the example of Paul and ultimately the example of the Lord Jesus. Paul actually cautions us. He says, I have often told you and now tell you even with tears that there are those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul's setting up a contrast here between those who are actually enemies of the cross. Can you imagine anything worse than being an enemy of the cross of Christ? Paul said that there are those who are actually enemies of the cross of Christ. And he goes on to say that not only are they enemies of the cross of Christ, 
but they actually worship their bellies, their carnal desires, the things they want, uh, who fix their minds, he says, on earthly things, who actually find their glory in shameful things. If Philippians chapter 3 begins with a description of religious legalism and those who find their righteousness in the things they do, here at the end of chapter 3, Paul cautions us about, I guess you could say, the opposite, a kind of antinomianism, a belief somehow that what we do doesn't matter, that that we can simply do whatever makes us feel good. There's a strain of Christianity that teaches exactly that. In fact, Rick mentioned a few minutes ago that one of the dilemmas at the beginning of the life of Christ Church Carrollton was leaving a denomination that it grieves me to say was dangerously close to saying exactly that. And let me tell you, there are false teachers everywhere who tickle our ears by telling us that God wants us to do what makes us feel good, what makes us happy, what, what we like to do. That's what God wants us to do. And you get all kinds of weird derivations of that, where there are false teachers out there teaching in Christian churches in Carrollton, Texas, that God doesn't call us to repentance. God doesn't care how we live our lives. Paul says that's being an enemy of the cross of Christ. He says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. They have minds set on earthly things. Paul didn't pull any punches. So preaching through Philippians 3, I can't pull any punches either. If we put the focus on what we want to do, what makes us feel good, whether whatever the category of behavior may be, if that's where we look for understanding and, and an understanding of the Christian life, then we're going to be misguided. We're going to wander off and actually our end would be destruction. That's why the Bible is so important to us. You see, God doesn't simply leave us alone as though He doesn't care how we live. He lovingly gives us His Word so that we might read it and heed it and live in its light and learn from each other. And He makes it very plain. I love the way He put, puts it. He says... Um, that uh, we should uh, do this because of what God has done for us. Uh, verse 12, I have already, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on, in other words, I struggle, I strive to make it my own. Why? Because Christ has made me His own. See, Paul wants it to be clear. There's struggling, there's striving, there's work to be done. But it's not to earn our salvation. It's because we have been saved. Because Christ has made us His own, we now strive, as He said before, to live lives worthy of that gospel. To live lives that reflect something of the power of the resurrection in our life. To seek to be more like Jesus And actually, he says, to be transformed. Look at how he ends this section. He says in verse 20, contrasting the Christian life with the life of antinomianism, he says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say that He might be our Savior, or He could be our Savior, or we hope He's our Savior. We await our Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what He will do in verse 21. He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. You see, our hope is not in our gritting our teeth and and making ourselves better people somehow. Our hope is in the transforming power of Christ in our lives. As we seek to do the work He's given us to do, He is working in us. He's applying His Word to our hearts. He's changing us. He's making us more like Himself. He's changing what we want. We prayed a few minutes ago before the service. First Sunday every month, put this on your calendar, we pray for our church. First Sunday every month, 9.15 a.m., back in the uh, uh, multi-purpose room or somewhere else back in the corner, we will be praying for our church. And we started with the ACTS. Rob, you'd be so proud of this. Kathleen did this entire, she put it together for us. This is our model for prayer at Christ Church Carrollton. This, is, this kind of thing just delights me. For years, we have taught people at Christ Church Carrollton, you adore, you confess, you thank, and then you pray. A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. That's what Kathleen and our little group, the elders and I, prayed through this morning, that, that God would be doing these things. We worship Him, we confess our sins to Him, and we thank Him. And then we pray to Him as He's working in us. And my prayer when we pray that section usually is, Lord, conform our wills to Your will. Help us to want what you want. And the reason we can say that is because we know what he wants is for his glory in eternity, but he's told us that his glory involves us. And so when we pray, Lord, your will be done, it's not our sort of looking down in in some desperate way, I give up, I'm going to quit. No, our attitude of prayer is, Lord, we trust you and what you want will bring blessing to me and to us. I don't know how. It may involve a funeral. In fact, it will involve a funeral. It involves death to self, always. But he is working. He is is transforming. I I love that word. He's transforming us. The same power, it says, that... uh, was enabling Jesus to subject all things to Himself. That same power He is using to transform Bill Lovell and transform you. The same power that is getting ready for a glorious new creation is going to involve us. And He's working right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is at work in this service, in every Bible study and activity and all the mission work that's going on. It's His Spirit at work, that same power transforming the likes of you and me so that at the end of the day, we look a little bit more like Christ. Not because of our work, but through our work, in our work, and often in spite of our work, He's doing what it pleases Him to do. And so Paul could say to the Philippian Christians, rejoice, he's going to say it next Sunday. When we look at this passage, rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice in chapter 4, verse 4. Why rejoice in the midst of suffering? 
Because we have a sovereign God who has a perfect purpose that includes you and me. And we can trust in that. Ariana can trust in that from her mother's breast to eternity. She can trust the sovereign God at work 